You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All that stuff. Oh, easy, easy. She's like, take it easy back there. All right. Going to Ayacucho. Ayacucho uh, by bus to Cusco. So it's like six, eight hours to here. Six, eight hours to here on bus, but we'll be here in between for a couple, three days, and then from here, we fly to here, from here, we, we take a canoe up the river, about, depends on the canoe we get, it can be six hours, it can be 12 hours, depends on the boat we get, and the boat captain, and what kind of motor, we have one, two kinds, we have the, huh, they have one called the pecky pecky, because it's slow like turtle, and then they have the other ones, just a regular outboard, so it depends what kind we get, uh, how fast we will travel to, uh, Puerto Pardo. So we have our churches. So this one here we built years ago, and I did see it had a misspelling on it. So it's supposed to be an O right here, Cerro Azul, so the blue mountain there, or the blue hill. And then we have um, this where Joel's church is, Puerto Pardo, that's the jungle there uh, near Bolivia. And then this one here is uh, Okabamba is in the mountains there. So we're gonna, we have uh, missionaries to plant there. Myself, Jed, and Ray are going be in prayer for us this week as we travel, as we move around. Um, uh, the most, Peru has its dangers. The most dangerous part is the water. It really is. And so you can get really sick there, and, and they want to make you soup all the time, and they don't boil it, and so you end up about to croak. So we got lots of stuff for that. I brought lots of medicine for that to try and keep the bugs at bay and stuff like that. But, but they do have a communist government now. They have their share of corruption and crime. You know, I mean, things happen, but, you know, we're uh, the God that goes before, he makes the path straight. And the different things that he does or, or we do will be directed by him. And it's always interesting what you think you'll do and what you actually do are usually two different things. So um, we'll accomplish some of what we think we'll do, and God's will will be done either way, okay? So be in prayer for us this week, if you will. And we're going to go to where our, our primary scripture this morning is going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, last week we started talking about victory over death, and if we can, uh, we can turn that off or otherwise Jed will start drawing pictures of the map or something. This is not enough to know where you're going, I want to tell you. It's a very, uh, very rural there, very rural. So we can turn that off, if you will. She left, I guess. Um, so that Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When David wrote this, there was no temple. There was a tabernacle, but there was no temple. David had the foresight to see that there is a temple and that ultimately that's where we will dwell. It's called the New Jerusalem in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. But, uh, but David had an understanding of who God was and he didn't fear death. So last week, and I, we put it on, you can, you can go to our website and find it on there. Um, and then you can go to the links. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, you want to hear the message last week about death and um, and then uh, what happens to you after you die and where you go and what you look like and so on. But if we had to break it down to three things, this is basically what we came up with. The first is wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. People worry about, well, what if my body's in the cold, cold ground? Or what if I die? So what if I drown and it ends up in the lake or whatever? Um, it doesn't matter where your body is. It matters where your spirit is. Where your spirit is, that's where you are. What your spirit is is what you are. And when you're combined with the Holy Spirit, then you have a passport into eternity to be with christ that's the second thing 
in eternity or after death, you'll have some form of a body. It'll be a spiritual one, different from what you have now, but recognizable by others. In all the Old Testament, whenever we see, well, in the New Testament as well, when the, whenever they see a person from the past, Saul seeing Samuel, he recognizes him. Samuel had already passed. He recognizes him as Samuel. Um, when uh, the guys see, uh, when, the, when Peter, James, and John see the transfiguration and see Elijah and Moses, they recognize him as Elijah and Moses. And then when they see Jesus after his resurrection, he can reveal himself or not on the road to Emmaus. He keeps himself um, um, hidden in a sense. But once he reveals himself, they immediately recognize him as Christ. So you will be recognizable, but it won't be the body that you have now. And last, you won't care. So the first one is, whatever your, wherever your spirit is, that's where you are. Number two is you'll have a body, it's just not the one you have now. It'll be different, but it'll be recognizable. And number three is you won't care. Because the Bible says that absent from the body is present with the Lord. So if you are a believer in Christ and you die, you will no longer be here in spirit. Your spirit will be gone. Your soul, your spirit will be gone. And it will be wherever Christ is. It will be immediate. We think of this is, now this is something that might be too far for you. Don't overthink this. We look in the Bible and we see the three heavens. You know, we see the, the earthly one and then we see the, the, the atmospheric heaven where the stars and moons are. And then we see the third heaven, which is where God exists. But somehow the Lord is very, very close. It's not like you have to travel from here through the ever how many zillion light years to get to the third heaven. Paul was here, and then he was in the third heaven. John was here, then he was in the third heaven. Isaiah was here, and then he was in the third heaven, sitting there in the throne room with God. He's very close. If you're absent from the body, we'll see immediately present with the Lord. That's something to consider. If you think about it too much, it'll make you crazy. But just know, heaven is right here. We just can't get there until we pass. Once we pass, we're there. However it is, it's very close. And yet it's impossible to reach without passing through the doorway of death. So, like I said, if you want to go back and, and see where we started on that, you can, uh, you can look that up and, and uh, read it. I got the notes. If you want to print the notes off, I'll print the notes off for you if that helps you. But this Psalm 27 that we read this morning, it's been read from our pulpit at least three times and um, over the years. And in it, it has this longing for God... That, that David had that I want you to catch. Psalm 27 and Psalm 25, both of those, have this kind of, this special understanding of David that he had for the Lord. And he had this desire to be with the Lord now and for the Lord to converse with him now. And he had conversations with the Lord. And we were talking about that in our in our, our prayer time before church, you can come to that at 9.30, and we'd love to see you there. We're trying to work towards having Sunday school on uh, Sundays. It's coming. It's coming. November, I believe we're going to try and get that started. But at 9.30, we were talking about this very thing and how, and how David had a relationship that many of us don't have. When he, when he read the Word, when he prayed, he didn't pray like we often pray. We pray... And then we get up, Lord, give me this, do this for me, you know, save my, my brother, sister, son, daughter, whatever, wife, and then uh, my neighbors, and then, you know, I glorify your name, and then we just go through this list of stuff, and I'll feel, heal all my sicknesses and all my tragedies and care for all my woes, in Jesus' name, amen, and we get up and walk away. 
And if I was having a conversation with anyone in here, I wouldn't just go there and say, um, hey, uh, good to see you. How's your mom doing? How's your kids doing? Hey, I want you to help me with this, 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 and this. All right, I'll see you later. Without allowing them a time to respond. And so the way that we hear from the Lord, it's, it's in a, a couple ways. But the primary way is through his word. The second way is through prayer. It's a conversation. So you speak, and then he speaks. But if you speak, just like if you were speaking to me, and you get up and walk away before I respond, you don't know my response. But if you'll wait, in the silence of that moment, wait, you'll hear. And you'll say, well, that was just my own thoughts. Well, maybe. But it may be the Lord speaking. If you remember with Elijah, he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the smoke. And he put Elijah in the crack of the rock. And he walked by. And then he said, Elijah. And it was in the still, small voice that he spoke to Elijah. He didn't yell at Elijah. He didn't trumpet a sound to Elijah. It was in a very small voice. Elijah had to see all the drama to calm it down, to recognize that the Lord wasn't in all. It says he wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the smoke. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. And then when he speaks, it was really quiet. And it's hard to hear his voice when you're running, running, running. You're doing, doing, doing. And every spare moment, the moment that you stop, you whip out your phone and you start looking, 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 you're not going to hear his voice. I promise you. Because you're not available to hear his voice. You're caught up in the earthquake and in the wind and in the rain and in the lightning and in the other jazz. You're caught up in the wrong thing. You can't hear his voice in that. You got to stop. You got to be quiet. You got to listen. So in the meditation of the heart, in the reading of the word, I do believe that he can speak in dreams and visions, but I'm going to tell you, if you're waiting and relying on that, you're going to be greatly disappointed because the dreams and visions come to those that are actively seeking him, dwelling on his word, and can find no rest until he speaks to them. And then they come. So if you're not willing to do the still small voice thing, you're not ready for the dreams and vision thing. Just, just know that. So that aside... Psalm 27 with David, he was listening, he was lamenting, he was praying, he was time alone in the word and in prayer, meditation. He had a longing. And we have, we have this real struggle with eternity because we, we just can't grasp it, we can't relate to it. The only thing I know is that when I get up in the morning is that I, I have to go into the restroom. Then I have to go and make the coffee. Then I, well, somewhere in there, I have to put clothes on. I have to whatever. It's the only thing I know is to satisfy this part of the, the thing that I can feel, that I can touch. It's the only thing I know. I don't know eternal things except for what the book tells me. I can't experience those things until I pass into eternity. I don't understand fully the spirit. I can't. I'm not there. I know that I have a spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit indwells me. And I know that the Holy Spirit can, his spirit can speak to my spirit. But I don't have a full understanding of that. And I won't until I die. And so our flesh calls to us in every way. From hunger to thirst or lust or coveting. Or even the positive things that, see, that we see and give us joy. Last, last week me and Renetta we drove down on Highway 28 there and just looked at the leaves and they were just perfect. I mean, it was just beautiful. 
And so you gain joy from that. And your spirit can be revived by that. Your spirit can be revived by a song. Your spirit can be revived by a work of God, a service to another person or a, or a, or a speaking to another person, whatever. It can be revived in that, but it's not completed until we die. And so rather than fearing death, um, we, we should have a different viewpoint than fearing death. Um, uh, our want or desire of fun or excitement can can cause us to forget the fact that we are an eternal being and that it's in the future. It's eternity past, present, and future. And the, and the biggest understanding that we're going to have is in the future, the far future. But the eternity begins today. The moment of salvation is when the eternity begins for us with our spirit. Something to consider. And we've been noticing in uh, Hosea on Sunday nights that the Lord, with Hosea, with, with Gomer, his wife, that he had to remove a large number of things from them, from Gomer, particularly from God's people, um, in order for them to gain the eternity mindset. And I fear that with our country, the way it's going, you can, you can believe that or not, but you can be wrong. <laughs> the way it's going, the Lord is going to remove things from us. But the goal of him removing things from us is not to crush us, but so that we can hear his voice. And when we can hear his voice, like we say that we desire we do, we'll quit holding on to all the stuff here so much. We're trying to hold on to everything here, and we want heaven too. I told you about this guy, Andrew Brunson. He was a missionary in Turkey. They imprisoned him, told him they were going to give him 30 years. He got out after about two, three or four or something, which doesn't make it that much better. But he, he really thought he was this deeply spiritual man. I was planting churches. I was doing this stuff. I was praying. I was meeting with people. I was a good evangelist. And then the Lord stopped him and put him in prison in Turkey. And he didn't know if they were going to take his life or if he was just going to spend his life in prison. And it was there that he was stopped long enough to hear the voice of God and recognize he didn't know him like he thought he knew him. But it was in prison that he found joy um, How's it going? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. He doesn't, he didn't have it until he got to prison and all the stuff that he had clung to, all the work that he was doing, all the things and all the smoke and mirrors that it was all removed from. And it was there that he could hear the voice of God. And it seems to be a shame to have to be that way, but I guess that's just how we are as people because we're so, um, we're just so finite. We're so temporal. It's all we understand is this, right? This solid, I can touch those flowers. I can touch these pumpkins. I can touch these people. And I can feel them. And I can feel their emotion. You know, when you, hold a, when you hug a person and they don't want you hugging them, you can tell, right? They're like, <laughs> the board, hugging the board. You know, we can feel that. We can, we can relate. We can emote in that way. What we can't do is understand how the Spirit speaks to God's Spirit. He gave us a book to tell us about it, but we're not going to fully examine it until we die. You know, God even brings suffering unto death, and a lot of times the suffering, the intense suffering, will cause a person to desire death. But until the deep suffering, the person will try to hold on to everything that's here. It's only through deep suffering that a person begins to desire death. David was looking for a coming temple that he'd never seen. 1 Peter 3.18, I want to, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I got, man, I wrote this really bad. You don't want these notes because I got the wrong thing wrote on there. But go to 1 Peter 3 and uh, look at this just for a second. 
We read this last week. 3 verse 8. I'm not even on the right. That is not even in the right book. Let me try one more here. Uh, try Second Peter three. That's a little more, more like I uh, recall. Mm -hmm. Second Peter three talks about in the last days scoffers will come blah 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 verse 8 uh, but beloved do not forget this one thing that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day the lord is not slack concerning his promises some count slackness but is long suffering towards us not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Looking forward, beloved, uh, to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The end of all things is at hand. And we need to be disciplined in our prayers and above all things have fervent love for one another. It's going to take a drastic move of God to wake people up to this kind of actions in the body of Christ particularly. We think of the church as a loving place, but how many churches do you know have been split or divided or harmed by dissension or corruption or fornication or, you know, the pastor falls into sin or whatever, false teaching? We, we're looking, Jed was talking about this, it's been a while, but he was like, man, I'm just looking for a time of truth. Like if, if we could just know what the truth is, you read the news you read about Ukraine and Russia, what's the truth? And I, I just read a thing from a missionary that's been a missionary to Ukraine for years. And he said, the, the, the real truth, if you want the real truth, you ain't going to like it. Because it's not necessarily Ukraine and Russia, it's the United States and their corruption, Ukraine and their corruption, and Russia and their corruption. And it's all coming to a little tornado right there in Ukraine. And the overflow of that, it points out the the wickedness in the leadership of the United States as well as the wickedness in the leadership of Ukraine as well as the wickedness in Russia. And when it gets exposed, it's ugly. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You better wake up, watch and pray. It's going to take God moving in a drastic way among his people. This missionary was saying that the people of Ukraine who have been under atheistic rule, socialist rule, communist rule for so long are very open to the gospel now more than they ever had what's it going to take for people to hear the gospel it's going to take them having the crud bombed out of them bombed flat and then they're going to be like man my life is worth nothing they've taken everything that i have where is my hope a group of believers under outside worldly pressure will no way cling to this life still. It's in that that they'll begin to cling to one another like they did in the New Testament 
when the persecution was so severe, they really grabbed on to one another because it's all they had. You say, well, I don't want that. Me neither. I like air conditioning. It's one of my favorite inventions of, of man through the hand of God. I love it. Go to, go to South, Carol, South California, 125 degrees. You'll recognize that as a blessing from God, man. I like cold water. I like ice cubes. I like to put ice cubes in my drink. Go to Peru, drink you go. They give you a big old soda, and it's about 97 degree soda. And you're like, oh, this is, thank you. This is delicious. You know, I like ice. I like those things. I like a bed inside with a roof. I like that. I've slept outside a lot. I like it. Huh? I, I like limited bugs. I like bug spray. One of my favorites is bug spray. Get them off me. I like pants. I like shoes. I like glasses because I'm really hard. I, can't, I don't see very well at all. I like close glasses and I like far glasses because I need both. I like those things. But is it going to take God removing all those things from me so that I can hear his still small voice? Is that what it's going to take? What's it going to take with you? What's it going to take? Go to 1 Corinthians, where I told you we were going to be in the first place, but I told you a lie, and I couldn't even find it in Peter, what I was looking for. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm pretty sure on this one. <laughs> what, gets me, what gets me in trouble is, is a lot of times when I'm studying, just a side note, so you know one of my many failures, as I'll read out of about three or four different Bibles, and so when I, I can identify things in a book a lot of times about where it's at, because of the book I read it out of, and then you go to a different one to preach out of, and you're like, man, where? <laughs> I know it's on this, anyway, not on the same page, but we'll figure this out. The gospel. The go I got it in three parts here. Dave Pritchard's going to come preach for you all next week, and he's big on the three-part harmony. You know, you've got to have alliteration and all that stuff, so I'm going to give it to you. I did this just for Dave, because he's going to listen to this recording before, so this is your plug, Dave, but I came up with three. The gospel declared, the resurrection assured, and our victory confirmed. That one's for Dave Pritchard. But for you, if it helps you remember as well, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and I know we've been in Corinthians a lot, but I believe it's what God's called us to be in, and it's kind of interesting, side note, I was listening to a preacher on the way in this morning, and guess what psalm he started preaching out of? Psalm 27. And then I'd been studying on Psalm 27, I sent it to Alva this week, early in the week, and then we kind of talked about some things there, but he never did come up with a conclusion. But we, we, I, I don't know. It's interesting how that happens, how, how God will bring a scripture, and it's like, this is the one. Work on this one, you know. Interesting. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, the gospel declared. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you receive, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. So I know this myself to be true. That's what he's saying. I'm going to tell you because it's already been expressed to me, and I understand it as truth, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen by Cephas and by the Twelve and by the Five Hundred and so on. So the first thing is the gospel declared. Paul says, I declare to you. I, Paul was not an actual witness that we know of. It doesn't say that he was. He never professed that he was to actually seeing Christ on the cross. He never professed to say that, to see that. However, all the apostles that he ran with did. And then the 500, so all these other people that also saw Christ taken, 
sinless, put on the cross, crucified, taken from the cross, dead, put in the grave, dead, three days, raised again, walking around, speaking to people for, uh, what are we at there, 40 days or so, 30, 40 days. So there was a large number of people that did, and not only that, but we have the testimony of Paul that he was struck down by the Lord on the Damascus Road. Something like scales fell from his eyes. He was educated by the Lord in a personal manner in the desert for three years. He knows the Lord, and he declares it just like I'm telling you now. I'm telling you that this is the truth. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. I wouldn't tell you otherwise. My life's not worth dying for this. Because if I'm telling you the truth, then I'm willing to die for it. And if you know the truth, you should speak the truth. No matter what. No matter the consequences of the truth. If you're asked what the truth is, it's one of the big problems in our government, our politics. And even some of these guys, you can agree or disagree with the January 6th thing, but they're pulling these people out of jails and so on and putting them up there and what they're telling them is well if you'll go along with our story we won't put you in jail for so long and they're like okay we'll go with your story just let me out of jail but if it's the truth it's the truth tell the truth and god will sort it out you might have to pay a price for telling the truth um and this is another side note for you but i heard that the irs is really going to look into starting to uh, look into the incomes of pastors so I'm going to be set. The rest of them guys are doomed, though. But, the, uh, but they're going to start looking into the incomes of pastors, and they want to start, which, whatever, they're going to do what they do. They're going to start charging taxes, but they also want to go back and look into their incomes, complete incomes, and they're trying to make a new little arm of the IRS there to specifically look into churches and pastors and see how money is spent and look for a way to better tax them. If you don't think persecution's coming, you need to wake up. It's coming against believers they want the word to be stifled the end of all things is at hand you need to believe that but paul declared with authority so so if i so i'm telling you that end of all things at hand am i willing to tell the truth knowing that the end of all things is at hand that they could take me and put me in jail they could take you if they can take me they can take you they can come to the church and they can see that you were at the church and that I was at the church. All you got to do is park in the driveway, see who comes up. They did that in Kentucky when they shut the churches down and they gave a ticket to every car in the parking lot. Or they sent tickets to people's houses. All they did was watch, okay, license plate ABC123, send one to him, you know, whatever. And they just sent the ticket. You'd think they can't, they can find you if they want to harm you. Are you willing to tell the truth up until death? If they take your life, is it worth it? Is salvation worth it? the loss of your physical life you got to answer that question the next thing is um well let me tell you paul can definitively say he can declare to you with all honesty that he knows that jesus is alive he knows that he died but that today he is alive and that he sits at the right hand of the father making intercession for you the next thing is the resurrection assured. If Christ is alive, and he is, then there, uh, there's a living hope that we can have as well. Look at 15, start at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead 
and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. And when he says all things are put under him, it's evident that, it's, that he who put all things under him is accepted, speaking of God the Father. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Not to get you too confused there at the end, but Christ is over all except the Father. That's what it means, the last two verses. Okay? But the rest of that, it says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And if he is made alive, you also can be made alive by his resurrection power. He has the power to steal death from you, eternal death, eternal separation and death. It says in Christ, all shall be made alive, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, the second death. You've got to pass through the door. But the second death, you can be saved from the second death. You've got to know Christ this side of eternity. <coughs> All right. I'm having to go with the sugar, the sugar one. Sorry. Whitney, my hygienist, gets on me for eating any sugar because my teeth are bad. <laughs> but that one was sitting there, Whitney, was calling my name. The resurrection assured. The first, the first was the gospel declared, the resurrection assured. If Christ is alive, then we have the living hope that we are too. We're spiritually alive today. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you follow him, you have turned your life over to him for your salvation, then you are made alive in Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You're saved. To be saved is, have, is to have Christ as your Messiah, to have him as your Savior, to have him as your lawyer as you stand before the Most High God and God says, why should I let this man into my heaven? And Christ says, because he has my righteousness on him. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. He does the work. We don't do anything but come to Christ. And he cleanses us from all sin. So in Christ all shall be made alive. And he continues to conquer death both now and forever. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And in the last is our victory confirmed. And that's in 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your body cannot go to heaven because it's vile. You may like your body. I like my body. It's what holds my clothes on me. It's what keeps me uh, warm in winter and cool in summer. It does the sweating and the, and the heating, insulating. It's the part that allows me to walk around and the words allowed to escape and the eyes to see and to hear. It's all I know. But I cannot take this body with me. It's like they say about dying, you know. You never saw a Brinks truck following a hearse. You, you don't get to take the loot with you. It stays here. 
So use it for the kingdom of heaven here. Use it wisely here because you're not taking it with you and you're not taking your body with you. The only thing you take is your spirit, you and your spirit. You are your spirit. Your spirit is you. Now I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. You think this dead corpse that's been in the ground 200, 300, 500, 1,000, 2,000, 6,000 years, you think that thing's not been corrupted by worms and dirt and whatever else eats the body, bacteria and whatever? It's corrupted. It's not the flesh that's resurrected. It's the spirit. And we shall all be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I remember that in uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, I can't remember the pastor's name, but he was walking down the thing to go to, the, to, the, to be burned at the stake. And his people were surrounding him, his people from his church, and they were singing hymns and telling him, remain faithful to the end. But they had piled a bunch of wood there for him to be burned on, and it was green, and they couldn't get the fire to go good. So he was just smoldering and not dying. And he called out, he said, have mercy on me. You know, put some dry wood on the pile. And one of the people said, is, is his grace sufficient? It is. And he died. Was the, gra was the grace enough? Is the truth of the gospel enough for your spirit that you can carry it to eternity? You got, you got to know. He's got power over death. death. It's like a joke. It's like a it's not a joke, but it's a, it's a light way of saying this. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, they shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So I'll say it a different way. Death, where's your sting? Hades, where's your victory? It's a, you're a joke. It doesn't seem like a joke when you're going through it, but it's a joke. It's not real. It's the passing from death into life. When you pass from an unbeliever to a believer, you've passed from death into life when you pass from physical death into eternity you're absent from the body present with the lord you never have to worry about sorrow or pain or suffering or tears or broken bones or bad vision or bad knees or bad back or or whatever you don't have to worry about any of those things it's all been handled and after passing through it's like i said um in the little devotional i wrote once you've passed You'll look back on all the suffering if you even look back on it at all, and it'll be forgotten. And like I said about a woman having a baby, the, the growing and the getting heavy and the bad sore back and the hurting feet and, and the, the bad diet of you know pickles and ice cream or whatever the old joke is or whatever, and then, and then the suffering of the contractions and the passing of the baby. But when you have it in your hands and you're looking into its eyes, you've forgotten all about the I mean, you can talk about it, but it's past. And there's no more a worry in your spirit anymore because what you've done is 
you have life. You're not worried about the suffering because it produced life. And it's the same thing of the eternity thing is you're not worried about the suffering anymore. You got to pass, Ephesians 1, 10 uh, through 12. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guarantee, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When you die, you get it all, but you got to die first. We got to get there. Um, it's not just our physical being given hope of eternal life, but it's our spiritual being being made perfect in eternity. It's only then that we'll be able to grasp that Hebrews 12, which we talked about last week, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, the general assembly of the firstborn registered in heaven. I was thinking, Jed, that for our next church, if we plant another church, that's what we're going to name it. The, generally assemble, the general assembly of the firstborn registered in heaven. I think that's not a cult. You get that going out there, you would have like 12 people in here handling snakes, and that would be about it. But that's where we're going to be. That's what it's going to be called, the general assembly of the firstborn registered in heaven. We're going to be happy there. We're all going to be of the same mind and the same values and the same love for one another, love that we cannot produce for one another here. We just can't because we're so fleshly and carnal. We don't let the Spirit speak like we should. It's only after passing from this realm when we're absent from the body and we're present with Christ that we have perfect um, conformity and union to Christ. It's only then we got to die to get the understanding, to get the fellowship, the friendship that we can, that we can have then. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. The best we can do is what we can discern from God's word, from the preaching, correct preaching of the word, through prayer, through meditation, and fasting, and these things. This is the best we can do, is look in a dirty mirror. But when we're there, we'll have this friendship contact that we cannot access now. And in the blink of an eye, our spiritual man will be in direct relation to the spiritual man of Christ. And we'll have a relationship with him that we cannot attain here. We'll have a, of, um, a true friendship. Kind of think about somebody that I've seen it a lot as people go on a mission trip and then they get to go on a second one to the same place they went the first time and then a new guy comes with them. Well, they got all the inside info now, right? They've already been there once and they're trying to show them all the stuff, kind of shortcut them around the things that, that, that where they wasted their time before. They will take them right to the good stuff, right? When we get to heaven, Christ has been there. He established us. He built it. He made it. It's all perfect. He knows the way it works. We get there, we'll immediately have the greatest tour guide ever. Not only that, he, the greatest contractor ever. He made a place for us to be and all those things. Anyway, I wanted to read you this um, thing. We got, I read it. It took three minutes. The complete sermon of Jonathan Edwards. The whole book didn't take three minutes. Just the part I'm going to read you. But I think he did such a good job of describing absent from the body as present with the Lord that I wanted you to hear it. 
uh, from him. And I'll try to um, pare down the big words there. There comes a time, the time when Christ presents his saints to himself in glorious beauty, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and having holiness without a blemish. And then the saints' union with Christ is perfected. This also is begun in the world. The union is both begun and perfected at once when the soul first closes with Christ by faith. When you first come to faith, you have the union with Christ in the spirit. The real union, though, consisting in the union of hearts and affections and in the vital union is begun in this world and but perfected in the next. The union of the heart of a believer to Christ is begun when the heart is drawn to Christ by the first discovery of divine excellency at conversion and following on this drawing and closing of the heart with Christ. It's established a vital union with Christ whereby the believer becomes a living branch of the true vine, living by communication of the sap and vital juice of the stock and root. When you're connected to Christ, you're connected to his being, we're, we're attached to the true vine, the, 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 the juices of the of the fertilizer of the good soil that comes up through the tree's trunk into the vine that makes us alive and produce fruit. And a member of Christ's mystical body, living by a communication of spiritual and vital influences from the head and by a kind of participation of Christ's own life. But while the saints are in the body, there is much remaining distance between Christ and them. This is true. There are remainders of alienation, and the vital union is very imperfect. And so, consequently, is the communication of spiritual life and vital influences. There is much between Christ and believers to keep them apart, much indwelling sin, much temptation, a world of carnal objects to keep off the soul from Christ and hinder a perfect, the word is coalescence, a perfect communion. But when the soul leaves the body, all these clogs and hindrances shall be removed. Every separating wall shall be broken down and every impediment taken out of the way and all distance shall cease. The heart shall be holy and forever attached and bound to him by a perfect view of his glory. And the vital union shall be then brought to perfection. The soul shall live perfectly in and upon Christ, being perfectly filled with the Spirit and animated by his vital influences, living, as it were, only by Christ's life without any remainder of spiritual death or carnal life. Departed souls of the saints are with Christ, and they enjoy a glorious and immediate conversation and communion with him. While we are present with our friends, we have opportunity for that free and immediate conversation with them, which we cannot have in absence from them. Therefore, by reason of the vastly more free, perfect, and immediate conversation with Christ, communion with Christ, which the saints enjoy when absent from the body, they are fitly represented as present with him. The most intimate conversation and communion becomes that relation that the saint stands in to Christ Jesus, and especially becomes that most perfect and glorious union they shall be brought unto him in heaven. They're not merely Christ's servants then, but his friends. It's hard, so hard. I'm telling you it's hard. And I, I, you can read and you can think and ponder and dwell and pray, but we're not going to know until we're there. How much better do you know somebody once you meet them in person? You, uh, One of my cousins met his wife online. And, I mean, with these people that meet people online, it's kind of funny, but you send the best, you don't send the worst picture of yourself. You send the picture when you got the, you know, after you've been up a while and got the makeup on, you know. You don't send the first thing in the morning one with the, the bad breath and the bad hair and the pimple or whatever. You send the nice one, right? What do they call those ones? The glamour shot. You send the glamour shot of yourself. And, and so, so then you, the person that you think you're getting and the person you get can be two very different people. 
And also, as you type online or you respond in that way or through texting, you have time to really consider your response and kind of say, oh, no, that's a bad word. I don't, I'll use this word instead to make me sound really smart. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I went to college, but it was a junior college online, but I'll tell them that it was Phoenix school or what, and they'll be like, oh, he must have gone to Phoenix, you know, must have been in Arizona, you know, or whatever. And, and, and things like that. But then when you meet face to face, there's no more, there's no more hiding there's no more lying. This person that looked like they were 115 pounds and super hot on the internet, you see them, they're 245 and, you know, five foot tall. You're like, well, that's a different person than I'm there, you know. Oh, she's got a good personality. It's not the same person. It's a lie. There's no more being able to deceive when you're face to face. There's no more deception. There's a, and if, and in this, they, they have a good marriage. They're still married. They got a bunch of kids. They're doing great. The point is, is that with us, with Christ, we have what we think we know of him now as best as we can understand. But when we're present with him, we'll know like we never knew and we'll understand like we never knew. Before the disciples, before the resurrection, during that time, they were just his worker bees. But he says, now I call you friends. We're his worker bees right now. We're loved by him. We can be friends of his, but we can't be true besties until we're there and we know him. And we know him, know him. He knows us. We don't know him. We got to know him. And if we know him, know him, just like you would with your friend, you would do anything for him. And so you need to measure that in yourself. Because if I know him, know him, and he tells me to go wherever he tells me to go, or he tells me to do whatever he tells me to do, then I'll go do it. Because I know him, know him. And I know he loves me, and I know he calls me his friend. And as a friend, I should serve him as he has served me and gave his life for me. Uh, he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? He loved us while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins. He loves us eternally. I knew you before the foundation. I chose you before the foundations of the earth. He chose us way back then knowing the worst we'd ever do, the worst we'd ever think or say. And he loved us anyway. And he drew us to himself. That's what the law does. The fear of death draws us to God. It draws us to him so that he can befriend us and he can care for us. Um, I pray that you'll trust him today, knowing that he's provided all your needs according to his riches and glory, that he has all power over sin and death, that all these things that we think are so important, you know, what kind of body will I have, what will I look at, it doesn't matter because you'll be absent from this broken earth and this broken body and you'll be present with the Lord. I pray that you're here today. Maybe you don't know. I, I have no doubt that the Lord brought you here today to hear this word, however poor it was. I pray that you hear the word and that you receive it in your spirit, that your conscience convicts you and the Holy Spirit opens your heart to hear his word and to apply it to your life. And the first step is, if you don't know Christ, or you know him from a distance, that you learn to know him today. Today is the day of your salvation. Repent, therefore, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's today. The kingdom can begin today for you. It exists today whether you're a part of it or not, and it'll exist in eternity. To be a part of the kingdom is to be saved and to live with Christ forever in eternity. I pray that today is your day of salvation. I pray that you recognize today that you're 
born dead in trespasses and sins. There's things that you've done that you regret. And, um, and heaven is a place of no regrets because all that will be behind us. The, the pain of childbirth will be long forgotten and we'll be there and be freer and more alive than we ever were. And I pray that you can grasp that today. I'll wait after the service. Be glad to talk to anyone that's still unsure maybe of their salvation or unsure of where they're going to go or unsure. I've heard that before. Well, I hope, you know, where are you going to go when I die? Well, I hope I'll go to heaven. You can know. You don't have to hope. First John tells us we can know that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, we are grateful for this opportunity to be together and hear your word. I pray the word that was spoken was the word that you had for us today. I pray for your mercy on these that are here. Um, I pray for the conviction of spirit on these that are here. I pray that as we've clung to different earthly things, Lord, that you would remove those covetous desires from us and, uh, and make us new and use us, Lord, while we still have time. I pray for our country, Lord. I pray for our government and government officials as they seek to control us and, and damage us. Lord, that Christians would be bold in their message of hope. I pray for these that are here, that they hear the word and they go away glad. I pray for the meal as we come together to have fellowship with one another, Lord, that you would be in our midst. I pray for Jed and I as we go take the, the test here in just a second. Um, just keep us safe on the road as we travel. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to hear your still, small voice, that you would remove things from us that are keeping us from hearing your voice, and that we'd be humble enough to allow you to take them so that our, our relationship with you would be greater now than it's ever been. And I give you all the honor, glory, and praise in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure about the gospel or you're not sure about what you heard, or um, I'll wait for you. Come, let's talk about it right now. Don't, don't wait. God bless you all, and we'll, we'll see you soon. Be praying for us this, this coming two weeks, will you? And also come back tonight at uh, uh, 6 o'clock, and we'll work on Hosea there.